Hello, everyone, and welcome to our very first session of our new weekly series, Marketing Ops Confessions. I'm Hannah Jakover, Director of Demand Gen at MadKudu, and I have the absolute pleasure of hosting today's conversation. And we're just really excited that you're here kicking things off with us for this series. And at MadKudu, we felt really passionate about creating an event that was focused on amplifying the voices of marketing ops leaders in the industry, and also using this as an opportunity to really talk about the topics that are often brushed under the rug when there's a really important opinion that needs to be heard, and dare I say, a little controversial. So we're bringing those to the light. Um, and as you know, we have an amazing guest today, and we'll get to intros in just a second. Just to cover a few housekeeping items, feel free to use the chat. We love to see your engagement in the chat. Share your thoughts. Tell us where you're from. Tell us what pisses you off the most about your role in marketing ops. Uh, use emojis. However you want to engage, we are here for it. Uh, we'll also have a short Q&A at the end, so submit your questions via the questions tab in the top right. And we'll also be asking a few poll questions. I think one is already live, so keep your eyes out for that. And this session will be recorded and we'll follow up with the recording after the event. Um, the rumors are true. We are giving away a DJI Mavic Mini drone to one lucky winner, and this could be you. Uh, it probably won't propel you down the streets uh, while you knock a biker off of their path, but it can do some pretty cool stuff. So if you've made it here today, you are um, going to be entered for one entry into this giveaway, but the more sessions you attend, the more chances you have to win. So we've got seven more sessions scheduled throughout March and April, and we hope you come back every week, um, not only for the drone, but also to hear from our other amazing guests. All right, let's do this. I am so excited to be here with our very first guest. You know him, you love him. Uh, welcome, big welcome to Daryl Alfonso. Daryl is the Global Marketing Operations Manager at Amazon Web Services, where he empowers hundreds of marketers to create exceptional digital experiences for their customers. And Daryl and I have had the pleasure of connecting on a few different occasions, and I'm just really excited for you to hear what he has to say. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Anna. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks everybody for joining. Um, I I took a look at the at the a registration list, and I, I'm just impressed with the, the the level of talent that that's come aboard. Um, and it, it also lets me know that I can get like right into the details of of marketing ops. You know, we'll get into the weeds today, which I'm excited about. I love writing about marketing ops, if if you know, as many of you know. Um, so it's also great to connect with the community and find out, um, you know, what what everybody's thinking about, the challenges that people have you know, uh, funny stories that I can write about later on. So I'm just uh, so great that everybody could come. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Well, that's a perfect segue into our very first question. And don't hold back on us because we want to hear it all. Um, so you just mentioned you love to write about your role and kind of the different scenarios. I know you pull from real experiences too, which is great. And you're mostly active on LinkedIn, other platforms and events as well. But you talk a lot about those breakdowns in communications and these different business relationships across departments. And it's it's so real. Like I've read some of your posts and I'm just like, oh, this pisses me off so much because it happens, it's real. <laughs> um, but it really mm -hmm. boils down to perception and misperceptions, um, you know, misperceptions yeah. around what others think should be happening in a marketing ops role or vice versa. So what do you think some of the most damaging misperceptions are about those in marketing ops? 
Yeah, so this is such a great question. So I think that there's two big mis uh, misperceptions here. One is from the leadership side or the organizational side. And then the other one is kind of how marketing ops perceives ourselves. So I I'll get into that in a second. And um, the first big one is that marketing ops are order takers, you know, and people that are just supposed to do things on spec and to take whatever it is that leadership or other marketing stakeholders want and then build, um, build out those things, mm -hmm. which in reality, the better approach is to partner with marketing ops and have marketing operations inform what the strategy is and how to improve and optimize that strategy going forward. So that that's a really big, I think, issue that is pretty prevalent in most organizations. Um, and then the other side, and this is this can I'm also being vocally self-critical here, um, is the tendency or perception for marketing ops to be technology-led versus um, strategy-led, right? So, mm -hmm. so you're letting the technological capabilities or limitations dictate what you're going to do. And that is a really scary place to be in. And, you know, people refer to it as um, letting the cart lead the horse, right? It's backwards and it's not the right order of things. And for many of us, we, we, we start to think, okay, you know, what, what can Marketo do or what can Pardot do? Um, it can do, lead nurturing, it can do dynamic content. Well, then that's what we're going to do for our marketing strategy. And that mm -hmm. works some of the time and, I, and can get you partial of the way there. But the better way to do it is to think about, you know, what are marketing's goals and what are the, what's the customer experience that we want? And then how do the tools and technologies support us in getting there? And that is, you know, I, I challenge myself to think about that all the time. Um, coming to even coming to Amazon, I think that that was one of the one of the big mind shifts that I tried to make where I would always think, you know, if we had a problem, I would always think, hey, can Marketo can't do that. You know, Marketo can't, um, you know, fulfill that request. So let's just think about something else. And, um, you know, coming, getting a chance to work with 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 some really great people um, that think differently. I found that it, it you really shouldn't stop there. You know, just because mm -hmm. your platform can't do it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, and, and I think it's important to, you know, no matter how hard things are, to imagine what that great customer experience looks like and then put yourself on the path to to go and, and getting that. So that's how I mm -hmm. kind of things there. Yeah, yeah. And I can say or add to that as a as a marketer and somebody who has happened to own marketing ops as well, it's so important to loop in your marketing ops team when you're building strategy because there's also this misperception again like you said like they know they know strategy just as well right like they marketing ops should inform that strategy and if there is something that you want to do that can't be done it's it's best to work together to figure out like well what's the next action like how do we get there by maybe doing something different or taking a different approach um so you mentioned goals um, mm -hmm. Goals obviously are critical. It's you know so critical, uh, important that we're all aligned at one company goal. But it can be really difficult 
to form relationships and align on goals when you don't have a proper definition of that goal. Um, and when I worked, you know, taking from my agency life, working with a lot of different types of clients, lack of definitions around goals was like the number one killer. It would bring down programs, it would bring down relationships, it would bring down processes, so many different things, because it's just so hard to define those goals. Um, and I think that thinking about that from a marketing ops perspective, like why is it so hard for us to define the role of marketing ops? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I do want to make a comment too on um, shared goals real quick. Um, and and it's, it's really easy to think of it when marketing ops is just, or, or when marketing in general is just like one or two people. It's very easy because when you're coming up with the strategy, you're also at the same time thinking, okay, how am I also going to do it? You know, is it realistic? Um, if, if, if my idea is to put on a great virtual event, um, do we have the time to do it, right? You're already automatically thinking about that. So that natural sort of, um, there's a natural congruency there when it's just you and maybe one other person. When the teams are separated and, and marketing ops is a different function, now all of, all of a sudden it becomes, okay, we're throwing something over the fence and just expecting someone else to do it. So that's why there's going to be some inherent challenges there. Um, so I just wanted to, to say that real, real quick. Um, and then for in marketing ops in general, the way that I like to define it is the art of executing great marketing it is a broad definition, but I think it frames things really well. And it, it just kind of like the, the art of getting things done. I, I think it's hard to define um, marketing operations because um, operations is a broad, ambiguous subject. You know, you think about uh, the term or the title chief, chief operating officer. Um, what does that person do, right? Pretty much everything in terms of operating the business. And that's where things get really vague because we're not exactly sure what it means um, to, to do operations. Um, so, so that's why I like, I like my definition. I also think that it's helpful to define what marketing operations isn't. Um, I think marketing operations can inform these things, but it, 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 it's not necessarily their goals to do that. Um, and those things are the setting the marketing vision. So marketing ops should inform that and help kind of construct it, but it's not really their job to decide and sort of write that down on paper. And then the other thing is is sort of like branding, brand identity. Um, those things I think um, you should consult with marketing ops to make sure we're operationalizing and, and how, do, how do those things kind of come through in the different touch points. Um, but it, I think that's a different function. So, but everything else I think is the land of marketing operations and, and why I like it so much. Yeah, I love that. And there's obviously a common theme here around relationships and collaborating with other departments. You know, even if you're not the owner of that specific um, initiative, you still have to collaborate on that. It's critical. Um, but building successful relationships and having effective communication to make sure that that collaboration is happening definitely requires a certain set of soft skills, which I know you're very passionate about talking about. Um, but at the same time, on the other hand, you're trying to balance all of these technical skills that are really required for you to do your job. So how do you effectively bridge these two skill sets? Yeah, so I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and um, I think that this 
idea really resonated with the, the way I think about this um, or the, the, how she, she explained this to me really resonated. And it was depending on your role or sort of like how senior your role is and then how mature your company is, um, that kind of determines the, the breakdown of the technical skill that you're going to need with the and, and how and what the portion of the soft skills that you're going to need. I think that when you first start and um, and I even I even, you know, sort of advocate to do this, um, it's highly technical. And I think that if you're just getting going, those technical skills can really differentiate you from your peers and help you become part a really important part of the marketing team because you're the one that's implementing the strategy you're finding um practical solutions to solve problems and um you know this is this, that's something that i did early on in my career i became a very technical marketer and you have many much more senior marketers relying on you and getting your opinion even though you haven't been there for very long or even though that you you haven't been as tenured in your career those technical skills really help so i think that earlier on there's a big focus on technical as you move and progress um, to managing larger and larger initiatives, um, it does become more about your people skills, your the way that you prioritize. I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily always call it soft skills. I think them as I think of them as business skills, right? Being able to influence people that you may not necessarily have authority over um, becomes becomes really really important. Um, you know, at Amazon, uh, there's a there's a uh, one of my coworkers told me, and it, it really made sense to me that 30% or more of our job is really internal selling and internal communication. You know, we know what we need to do, but it's getting everyone moving in the same direction, agreeing to it, and then actually, you know, fulfilling um, um, what we set out to do. Um, it, it is is such a big part of it. So 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 I think that maturity the, the, of the company, the tenure, and then and then you know um, how many people you're working with that I think will determine the breakdown of technical versus that sort of general business skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like how you reframe it into business skills versus um, soft skills. And I, I think too, it, it's also learning to adapt to how people want to absorb information. So it's about really understanding humans, right? Like what, how, how is the best way to communicate my point with this specific person? Is it a more technical approach? Is it a less technical approach? And then even using those technical skills that you have to to um, actionize that adaption. So maybe you need to run a report in this tool versus this tool to make sure that they can receive that information as um, they're going to best absorb it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then and then just just um, being able to translate, you know, I think we had talked about this before, Hannah, but I think the best marketing operations people can translate really technical concepts into mm -hmm. simple ways that other people can understand. And those are the people that I really admire the most where they can take a really complex topic, whether it's uh, you know a complex lead nurture or, or a data management initiative, and then break that down for other people to, to grasp and get on board with. That skill is so admirable. And um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I think it's up to us to, to take it upon ourselves to learn our craft so well that we can put it into layman's terms. And that has helped me time and time again in speaking to maybe non-technical um, stakeholders and then just a leadership too, yeah. right? Because they're not gonna really care um, why your, your smart campaign's not working or you know why you can't market in the way you want to because the segmentations aren't built right, right? So it, it's kind of, that I think you'll start to lose them and it's important to um, be able to persuade them in a way that makes sense to them. Um, mm -hmm. that, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, pulling from my time on the agency side where we worked with a team of marketing operations specialists for clients, um, they weren't always going in front of the clients because there was this gap of like, how do I explain this? And, and they, they couldn't really like break it down in a simple way. But we had some amazing, amazing people who were all stars at that. And they were in front of the clients and they were explaining it. And I think it was it, it encouraged better collaboration between our internal teams, too, because we weren't left scrambling, trying to do that translation and getting it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, OK, let me hear a little conf confession from you. Um, we've obviously heard just kind of like a sliver of the wealth of knowledge that you have and the learnings that have shaped your career. But if you could go back in time, what would you do differently in your career to better set yourself apart or better set yourself up for success? Yeah. Um, so I actually think about this a lot. Um, the first thing that I would do, I think this might be a little con uh, contrarian or, or it might surprise people. I would work on improving my writing skills and improving my business writing specifically. But overall, I think just overall um, um, writing is, is such a difference maker. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I like to write articles, why I like to spend time writing posts on LinkedIn. Um, because it helps clarify your thinking um, and it helps really kind of, um, it helps vet your own ideas and, and also helps you communicate to others. I think that when marketing ops speaks to other stakeholders, um, we might just tell them the tip of the iceberg and hope that they understand. Right. So if you're if you're talking about trying to improve conversion rates or trying to, um, you know, have a healthy database, when you say that verbally or just in passing and you think that people get it and you think that people have those same goals, they usually don't. Um, and, and that's because of the, the, the so many disconnects, the disconnected goals, the disconnected or the, 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 the sort of misunderstanding of what everyone's working on. Um, there's so many places that it, it can, you know, the game of telephone gets ruined. And when you improve your writing, you're also sort of trying to figure out how people are interpreting your message and seeing, seeing it from their point of view. And you're almost trying to persuade them from their point of view. And, and the reason why it's so hard for people is because of the so many breaks. I know I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here a little bit, but this is really important to me. So when you're writing, there's so many breaks that happen, right? There's, there's the idea in your mind, and then you put it on the paper. So, so there's already a break there. And then there's the paper to the other person's eyes, 
right, to the reader's eyes. So there's another break. And then the person has to interpret those ideas. So you, you can see almost four breaks, right, just between you writing something and someone else reading it. And when you think through that, um, all of those pieces, then it, your writing becomes much stronger and then your ideas can come through more. And the, mm -hmm. the secondary benefit of that is that you, you're vetting your own ideas because if it's not good, you'll see that when you're writing and you're, and you're like, whoa, um, you know, I need to think through this more or I need to maybe need, I need to change my approach or the way I think about this because it doesn't make sense on paper or it might make sense in your head. So I know I kind of rambled on that, but I, it's so important to me that I wanted to yeah. share with everybody. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I think the more you write too, the more like it's so critical to be concise and be clear. And that doesn't mean you have to write something short every time. You can have something that's very concise and well thought out and it can be a long you know, a, a long format post or uh, written communication in some form, but it, it helps you really understand how do I get my point across in the most effective and clear way? Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, to share like some, some practical examples, when we want to launch a new process or a new platform at Amazon, we need to write a six page document on everything about it. It's almost like a, a business case study. And we're not allowed to present a PowerPoint on it. We're not allowed to show visuals, I means maybe some visuals. But everyone, when, when we're going over our plan, everyone reads in silence, um, which is a, it's, it's a, a per, peculiar part of our culture. And um, at first I thought it was kind of weird, but I slowly be, really kind of became enamored with it because of those things that I just mentioned. Um, it really clarifies every, it's like the great equalizer, if you will, mm -hmm. right? You just have a paper, you just have the text and, and you're, you have people debating ideas on their merit versus maybe how passionate someone is about a, sp a specific topic. Um, so that I think is, mm -hmm. has been one of the great learnings that I've had these past couple of years. I love that. That's a great exercise. Although I would probably be the one in the room being like, this is so awkward. Can somebody please say something? Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's a great exercise. So speaking of how things are done at Amazon, you obviously have a lot on your plate between just the sheer number of people you're collaborating with and trying to enable the various technologies and all of the different requests that you're navigating through. What do you find the most challenging in your role? And what are some of the rituals that really keep you grounded? I know you just mentioned one, but maybe you can share another. You know, one thing that I don't think any of the blog posts or any of the business books sort of share with you is what, how do you implement change management when everybody disagrees with you? I think that that is is a really big big one, and something that, excuse me, something that I've had to deal with, um, you know, recently, and um, you know, uh, the, the 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 project that I recently worked on was a, a change of process. And to give you an idea, we have about eight hundred um, marketers who log into our marketing automation platform every day and deploy campaigns around the globe. So. Any process change for um, for AWS has a really large scale, and and the the consequences of that 
are sort of cascading because of because of how big it is. So we always have to think about scale. Um, but you know, it's it's so funny that in 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 blog posts and and when when you get advice, people always say like, oh, you know, try to find the shared goals, try to try to see it from their point of view, and then you know, um, um, try to convince them that way so that you're on the same team. But no one ever tells you what happens when that doesn't work and people still hate your idea and you still have to do it anyway. Like you still have to stay strong and, and stick to uh, your, your to, to what you believe and roll out a change that is really unpopular. And, and for me, um, these, these, these past couple of months, um, you know, I went through that and um, I found out a couple of things. I found that one thing that really helps is just to listen to people for the sake of it. You know, um, um, one, one thing that I did when I was in, I, uh, to give you an, an idea, I met with 50 different people across like 10 different meetings. And one of the things that, that I did was I acknowledged what, they're, what they said, repeated it back to them, and then explained my point of view. And whether we agreed or not, um, what really helped was just knowing that I heard them and, and, and what they had to say. And, and even if the answer at the end of the day is, you know what, I heard you, we're going to move forward with this anyway, but I'm going to work with you to, to make it as easy as possible. Sometimes that's the best answer that you can give. Um, I found that that was really helpful. And that even though people, even though I wasn't, you know, everyone's favorite person, I think that we can still get work done. Um, and it's something that, that, that I think that I'll take from that experience. Um, and, and I hope that I can kind of continue to, to do that if, if this ever happens again. Um, so those, I think that that's one of the, to kind of sum up, I think that that's one of the most challenging things is to do mm -hmm. things that you know are right, but are very unpopular. Yeah. And that's a life lesson right there to what you said. Like you can take that beyond your professional life and yeah. it will benefit you in all facets of your life. Um, okay, so I know we only have a few minutes left and we want to get to questions. So we just just have a couple of questions from me. Um, mm -hmm. This is one of my favorites because I know how important it is to be inspired by individuals that came before you or are just doing things in a really unique way and kind of like changing the narrative. So to that, who is a marketing ops leader you admire and why? Yeah, I... Oh, there's so many, you know, um, I think that that uh, uh, you and I both know Sarah McNamara, I think. And then um, um, Helen Abranova, I kind of I keep getting her last name wrong, but she she works for she does. She has marketing ops at Verizon. Also someone that I am a avid follower of. Um, and, you know, what I also love to see is it's my belief that marketing ops folks are the future marketing leaders. And I think that's because we get exposed to so many different parts of the business. And we're also really invested in how work actually gets done. You know, how are you actually going to do it? So like execution is is the real deal. And, and I think it's the key to 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 really that that business success that that everyone's looking for. So I th I really believe that that marketing ops is positioned to be the future marketing leaders. And we're already seeing that. Um, yeah. You know, the, the CMO of, of Active Campaign, um, she mm -hmm. comes from an op, 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 ops background. 
the CMO of Sendoso, same deal, uh, comes from an ops background. So I think that, that um, those are some people that I look up to and uh, it's just so exciting to see the marketing ops um, profession kind of grow and become really uh, sort of more mainstay uh, within the marketing community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. And we agree too. marketing ops for sure, future leaders. And, yeah. and we're, we are seeing that. And it's interesting to see the different departments change as well. Like who, do, where do those marketing ops folks that are kind of rising up into different positions, where do they go? Are they going to rev ops? Are they going to marketing? Um, so I think that will be an interesting evolution to continue to watch as well. Yeah. Um, all right, Daryl, one more question. It's been awesome talking with you. I know everybody in the chat has been really excited to hear what you have to say. If people want to hear more from you, where's the best place to connect? Yeah, LinkedIn's my favorite. I'm on Twitter too. Just my, It's just my name, Daryl Alfonso. Um, shoot me a message. Um, and uh, yeah, this is this is like my place, the, the marketing ops community. I've learned so much from. Um, I think that I recommend that people network with me and network with each other. I, um, mm -hmm. I think that the, the community part of it has paid dividends for my career over and over again. I can't tell you how many times when I'm having a problem at work, I just go to Slack, I go to, I go to LinkedIn and I just shoot a message like, hey, have you ever worked on this? Have you, have you ever uh, dealt with this lead routing issue? Um, and I get so many different perspectives back. So um, I think that it's, it's a necessity for sure, for if, if for marketing ops looking to grow their career, it's to lean on your community. So yeah. looking forward to, to, you know, connecting with all of you out there. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And that's part of, again, part of the reason why we wanted to do this is to really like, let's get those perspectives shared in the community, let's amplify them. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna look at a few questions from the audience. It looks like we have a time for just a few. I'm going to start this live answer here. This is a good one from Amy. Amy says, how can marketing ops ensure that they don't become order takers? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, so I think there's, there's the, there's a perception part of it. And I think that there, it's also something that happens over time. Do you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, the, the, I think the practical answer is to get really involved in reporting and in the data, um, because that can help inform what you're going to talk about. Because otherwise, you're coming to the table with just an opinion. Um, so one of my, one of the very first projects that I think any marketing operation should do should work on is standardizing marketing reporting from a global or just high level perspective, um, building global dashboards, and then also uh, I think of reporting in two ways. One is reporting for leadership that tells a story. And the other mm -hmm. one is campaign reporting that helps improve de decision making. And when if you get both of those right, um, when you talk to your stakeholders, you're actually influencing strategy because you're changing yeah. the way that they're making decisions. Um, unfortunately, that takes time. So the reporting itself and getting that right is a multi-month project. And then pulling the insights takes experience. So you have to know as like a marketer, and I believe that marketing ops professionals are marketers. As a marketer, you need to know what the reports mean and how to best advise your stakeholders on what they need to do next. So I think that that's the, the place that, but it's like an ongoing thing, right? It, mm -hmm. it happens over time. 
it's not gonna mm -hmm. happen overnight. Yeah. yeah, agreed. And can confirm on the timeline, it does take months. Um, and I used to tell my clients that and they'd be like, what? They'd be shocked. And um, it just, it, it takes a lot of expertise and, and time to understand and unravel the data and what needs to be done. Um, okay, let's look at another question here from Matt. Um, oh, this is a good one. How can you best overcome instances in which leadership slash strategy teams don't have an understanding of or experience with the technical skills and resources available? Yeah, that's a good one. I, I like this platform too, where the question just kind of comes up here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is also really tough because I think that, I think that that translation piece comes in. You know, how do you, there's such a difference between someone that manages a development team and then like a business leader that's just managing a bunch of directors, right? Mm -hmm. The the day-to-day the -day is so different. The challenges are so different. So bridging that gap, um, I think, again, becomes, becomes challenging. And it takes really smart people that put in a lot of effort to, to translate um, technical knowledge into sort of business insights um and it I, and to be honest it's one that I, I i struggle with i struggle with every day um i i will say that a couple of things that you can do is just um you know outlining what's possible and what's not with the current resources and then with additional resources is is mm -hmm. a nice way that that i find can help people understand um and how technical resources translate into business results that's a nice way and and also a nice way that you can argue or make a case for more business um uh more resources so an example of that is okay i need you know with our current marketing ops headcount today we can execute and deploy 50 campaigns per quarter right if I get an additional person, we can increase that by 25%, right? So now, and then if you, and it, it's even better if you can quantify the uh, campaigns and what those translate to in terms of dollars. So if it's 50 campaigns leads to 500,000 in, you know, generated pipeline, right? Then you're, then now you're actually talking 500, $500,000 increased by 25% is what's going to happen if I get another person on my team. And then finding ways to do that with all of the technical resources, I think it could be a, a way to help there. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. Um, I'd also say just pulling from what we, one thing that we do at Mad Kudu is taking the time to just do some shared learning um, yeah. and, and some show and tell, like as simple as it sounds. You know, uh, every Monday, for example, at Mad Kudu, we have our Mad Weekly meeting and one team is responsible for presenting some learning, something interesting, something that's going on. And I think even just that, where people are starting to hear the terminology and the different tools that you're using and why you're doing the things that you're doing is is a really important thing to do. Um, do you want to do one more? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. This one I can relate to. 
uh, <laughs> as a marketing leader in a startup, 50 people, I see the importance of marketing ops, but with resource limitation, how can I best start scaling my marketing ops without being sucked into the nitty gritty and not have time slash headspace on the big picture? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so I wrote, I wrote a post about this uh, because as at, at my former role, I managed, I did a hybrid of marketing and also marketing ops. And um, uh, so, I, I, and it was for a mid-sized company. And I, I, I wrote a post on this because I felt really overwhelmed. And there was a, a, a person that came on like a new hire. And I was just amazed at the things that she did to help multiply what a small team could do um, and help us operate like a, a much larger team. Um, and there's a few things that she did. I wish I could, I, I'll, 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 I'll try to share the post with everybody later on. But the first one that, the, the first thing that made a big difference was the idea of program templates and campaign templates, right? So in the past, it took us, you know, maybe 10 plus hours to do uh, to do webinar preparation, um, but by implementing a template, we cut that down to one to two hours per webinar, and just being able to replace all of the the assets each time, um, and kind of having a standard playbook to do that, where anyone could could really replicate that playbook and put together a, a fantastic virtual event. Um, that template uh, that the idea of templates really increased the efficiency. The other one, and this kind of goes back to our writing, to the writing, was being able to actually slow down and document our strategy, our processes, and the way that we approach things, because then other people could kind of understand. I think one of the problems, even with smaller organizations, is that you have this siloed knowledge in everyone's head, right? So, so you know, when in reality, um, a lot of these things that 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 we do. Uh, can be done by someone that that has basic knowledge of, of, of digital platforms, right? And by having clear documentation, you can have other people jump in and help you um, at a moment's notice. And I found that to be, you know, whereas I was the one usually building complex campaigns and then fixing problems by clearly documenting things, referencing, um, you know, where to find resources, I found that other people could, could hop in and, and help me out. Um, so those are a few things that that I think really help, and and I'll try to share that that post that I wrote earlier. Um, on yeah, the yeah, that's a really good. I remember, I remember which one you're talking about, and I I remember reading it and being like, yes, that's uh, it really resonated. And I knew you were going to bring up documentation, and I'm so glad that you did because it's so important. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you so much, Daryl. I know that we're at the a little bit over time. So thanks to everybody who stuck around. Don't forget to sign up for next week's confessions. We have a very special power duo coming at you from the Clearbit team. Um, my colleague Drew Knoll will be sitting down with Julie Bainan, head of analytics, and Colin White, head of demand, for some more hot takes on marketing ops topic topics next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Thank you again, Daryl, so much for your time and your knowledge. And thanks to everybody in the audience. And I hope you have a great day.